Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. This is a little different kind of podcast because we have a three-way conversation going with Dr. Frank Thielman, my colleague who teaches New Testament here at Beeson Divinity School, and with Dr. John Woodbridge, who is a great church historian, teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School near Chicago. Uh, Welcome, Frank and John, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you so much, Timothy. Now, you know, what are we going to talk about? We could talk about almost anything, but the the three of us have had a special relationship with one of the Lord's great servants in our era, Dr. Billy Graham, who went home to be with the Lord uh, earlier this year on uh, February the 21st, 2018. He was 99 years old. It would have been 100 years old had he lived till November and so the, this this was like a seismic earthquake, uh, Dr. Graham's passing away, many, many thousands of articles written about him. But I wanted us to talk about him uh, really in the way that we knew him and his contribution to the Lord's Church, a great evangelical statesman of our time. And I think I will begin with Frank, because Frank, of the three of us, I think you maybe had the most up-close and personal connection to Dr. Graham from the early years of your own life. I grew up in Montreat, North Carolina, where the Grahams had their home, and Montreat is a small town, Um, and for a long time, while the Grahams were living there, it wasn't even incorporated as a town. It was actually just the conference grounds of the old Southern Presbyterian Church. Mrs. Graham's father, Dr. Nelson Bell, had been a missionary, a medical missionary in China for many years, and uh, he had a home in the States in Montreat. And so uh, when Dr. Graham and Mrs. Graham married, they made their home in Montreat. And my father came to be the pastor of the one church in Montreat, the Montreat Presbyterian Church, back in the early 1960s. And uh, so he was really Mrs. Graham's pastor, and Dr. Graham was in church when he was in town. And so we grew up, our family grew up with their family as part of the wider community. Now, I think Billy and Ruth Graham married in 1943, so they had lived in Montreat a few years before your family moved there. Right. But you grew up somewhat with some of their children, didn't you, in the neighborhood? I did, yes. I knew Ned, their youngest child, and Ned's brother, uh, Franklin. I really knew all the children in various ways, but I knew Franklin and Ned the best, and really Ned the best. He he and I were uh, close in age and uh, were we played together when we were little and uh, sort of lost touch at high school, sort of high school and college, but we were good friends in our early years together. Now, I want to mention something that probably uh, not anybody on our listening audience knows, uh, but I know. I'm going to reveal it right now here on the Beeson Podcast, and that is the fact that you, Frank, were at one time a radio announcer 
I for was, a radio yeah. <laughs> station, I think, connected to Bill, Billy Graham or to the Montreat. Uh, tell us about that. That's right. Uh, Dr. Graham had in the Graham organization still owns a radio station called WFGW. Its companion FM station is WMIT. And uh, WMIT is actually a very historic radio station. It's, I think, one of the very first, if not the first, FM radio station in the country. And uh, early on, the Grams saw the need for uh, Christian radio stations and Christian broadcasting. So they set up an organization called the Blue Ridge Broadcasting Corporation, and my father was on the board And when I was in high school and looking for a job, uh, Dad put my name in and said, well, if you can use Frank down at the radio station, he would love to do that. Well, you do have a good radio voice. And and if you've heard Frank's voice before, it's probably because he introduces the Beeson podcast every (laughs) every week. So you're a familiar voice anyway. If people don't know you, they know your voice. Well, you're very kind. I'm not sure how good a radio voice I actually have, but I did have a very loving dad who was looking out for his son <laughs> when he needed a job. <laughs> there so, you go. Uh, yeah, and the the management down there was kind enough to hire me, and I used to uh, used to sort of sub in for announcers from time to time. I did that for about ten years. Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in the summers and. Yeah, about that. Uh, it was a great experience. You mentioned your father a few times. I had the privilege of meeting him. He actually preached for us here at Beeson Divinity School once or twice. His name was Dr. Calvin Thielman, a wonderful preacher of the gospel, a great pastor, and, of course, a very special friend to Billy Graham and his whole family. Uh, what was it like to have the Graham family in Montreat Presbyterian Church, Billy sitting there listening to your dad's sermons? Well, the church met in a very small space, Gaither Chapel, And so it was not a large uh, area. In fact, the church didn't even own the chapel. It it rented it or leased it from Montreal College. So this was a small space. And when Dr. Graham was there, pretty much everybody knew he was there. But the community was uh, respectful of his private space. He would often arrive a few minutes late to the service on purpose because he didn't want to create a ruckus, and he would frequently sneak out a little bit early for the same reason. I think his concern was as much just not creating uh, a stir within the church as anything else. My dad also was careful not to call on him spontaneously to pray or to speak. He he tried very hard to uh, be respectful of the Graham's privacy and need for time together. Dr. Graham was out of town a lot, mm-hmm. and so the time with his family, the time in church with his family was very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think dad and the whole community, the session of the church, worked hard to preserve their need to worship as a family. Mm -hmm. But at least once a year on Christmas, uh, Dr. Graham would call uh, down to the house usually and tell dad that he would like to give a report on his ministry that year. Mm. And uh, he just did it year to year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't sort of an organized set up thing, but dad would always hope the call would come and it always did. And, uh, So the Sunday before Christmas, Dr. Graham would uh, typically speak at our church. He would give a report on his ministry. He would usually have a brief sermon on a scripture text. 
And then he would stay as long as anyone wanted to talk to him Mm -hmm. in the community. He would uh, stay for a long time in the back of the church, shaking hands, signing people's autographs, uh, talking, visiting with people that he didn't normally get to see but knew. And uh, that was a very special time in our church every year. What are some things you may have learned about uh, Dr. Graham's character, his ministry, uh, from being that kind of close affiliation with his family and his children? You know, I only have good memories of Dr. Graham. He was a wonderful person, and I did know him fairly well just at the level of being in his home and being there when Ned and I would uh, be hanging out together at their house. I remember him fixing us lunch once. And uh, Dr. Graham, I remember as a very kind person. Uh, He was quite thoughtful. I remember him as an excellent listener, which Mm -hmm. I think is one of the keys perhaps Mm -hmm. to his leadership abilities. Mm -hmm. He listened carefully to people. And uh, it didn't matter who you were. Uh, If you had his ear, he listened quite carefully to you. And he he never forgot names. Mm -hmm. He knew people's names. I think better than anyone I've ever known. He, If he met you, he knew your name. And uh, he was very able to connect with people at uh, a personal level. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people respected him for that. Dr. Graham was also a person of real integrity mm-hmm. and uh, did a lot of good in our little community. A uh, lot of wonderful things that people, I think, probably... Uh, never knew about, uh, families that were poor that he helped. Uh, I remember a poor mountain family once that my dad called uh, about uh, who needed a home. They were living in a a place that just had a dirt floor. Uh, The father in the family was very ill. There were a lot of little children. They were just in really bad shape. And immediately, Dr. and Mrs. Graham got together. They found a house for them. I think it was somewhere on some property they had. And uh, they made sure this little family was taken care of. And that was not a rare thing for them. Mm. Uh, They had a heart for the poor and the needy. I think they communicated that heart to Franklin, their son, who Mm. runs Samaritan's Purse. I think he has that same, same burden for the poor and the needy. They were really a wonderful family. I have wonderful memories of them all. That's great. Now, John, you and I didn't grow up in the neighborhood with the Graham family, but you've known Mr. Graham for a long time, and your connection, including that uh, of your father with Billy Graham at Fuller Seminary. Say a little bit about how you came to know Mr. Graham and his work. Well, I came to know Mr. Graham uh, through his his work uh, more through, I guess, uh, my dad um, and more through... Uh, Mr. Graham, uh, on occasion, uh, coming up to Word of Life uh, camp up in northern New York. Uh, Dr. Graham was a great friend of of Jack Wurtson, so I saw him as a kid up at uh, up at Word of Life and met him. And my father and he played golf together up in up a, uh, close by uh, camping the camping situation. Uh, and then uh, on one occasion. The closest real contact I had with him, I just so loved listening to what Frank was saying, his firsthand experience. I happened to be in the home of the Dean of Trinity, where I teach, and his name was Dr. Conser. And uh, Dr. Conser was down in Latin America, and I was grading papers, which I've done most, spent most of my life grading papers. <laughs> anyway, I was grading them, and 
and the phone rang, and uh, and the person said, "Who is uh, Dr. Concha there?" I said, "No, he's down in Latin America." And he said, "Who is this?" And I gave my name, and then he said, uh, "I said this is Billy Graham." Oh, I said, "Oh, hello, Dr. Graham." And I, apparently, Dr. Graham had counselors throughout the world. Dr. And these counselors would sometimes give him advice, and Dr. Concha must have been one. So Dr. Graham had on his daytimer half an hour. And he, so he decided to spend it with me. Uh, but in this instance, since I didn't know him too well, he did the talking. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that that was, that was one of the most remarkable conversations I've, I've, I've ever had, uh, because I realized something which uh, I'm glad we can talk about on this program. Is as Frank indicated, uh, 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 Dr. Graham was the real deal. Uh, there was no disconnect between uh, his uh, formal presentation of himself, you know, in public, and who he was privately. And in a particular instance, he was t- talking with with me of all things about the issue of, of sexual purity. Mm. He was uh, a little bit upset that a particular person had said something as a Christian that you know that he, he had a little bit more leeway in his thinking than probably he should have had. And Dr. Graham said, "How how could any Christian man say uh, say something like that?" Well, I could imagine how that could happen, but he couldn't. And and I, I began to realize, and I, as I studied his life and knew, got to know him more and more, that one of his great traits was he took the Bible very, very seriously. He took sin very seriously. And consequently, one of the areas in which he was very, very careful was his thought life, and he expressed that to me. And, and as I have reflected about his remarkable ministry over the years, uh, I think that part of, of his quote-unquote success was due to the fact that listeners would know he was telling the truth. He he wasn't making up stuff. There was no he wasn't counterfeit and so forth. And in particular, in his thought life, he was very, very careful. And in particularly in today's world, that's one of the reasons I'm bringing this up. Uh, it's it's so important for evangelical Christians to be like Mr. Graham and and not have a distinction between their private life and their private thought life, and uh, and the. Uh, and what they say, and all I can do is say, you know, the, I'm not a very good exegete, but when it says the pure heart will see see God, I think Mr. Graham really did encounter God because of the purity of his heart. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, both of you have talked about, each of you has talked about uh, Mr. Graham's uh, humility and his integrity. And those those are just shown through in his life and ministry. Um he came really into national prominence in the late 40s, really early 50s, culminating in the great New York City crusade of 1957. Um, what was happening in evangelical life at that time? Maybe, John, you want to answer this, that uh, uh, gave, gave that opening for a person like Billy Graham who would be so marvelously used by God to speak uh, to the whole nation and really to the whole world. Yes, that's a, that's a really good, good uh, point. Billy comes out of North Carolina, obviously. And he comes from a, a dairy farmer background. He goes uh, eventually to Wheaton College in the early uh, '40s, uh, and he, you know, he uh, he'd already made the great commitment to serve the Lord when he was at a Bible school in, in Florida. He wanted to be an ambassador for Christ, but when he got to Wheaton, not only did he meet the love of his life, uh, Ruth. Uh, he, on occasion, and, and one of his roommates has talked about this recently, he, on occasion, would get down on his knees in his room and say, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, 
keep me from doing anything that would betray you. I want to serve you. And so, as it turns out, he joined the Youth for Christ and went overseas and so forth. But as you intimated, it's particularly uh, in the late 40s uh, when there, there was, in some regards, a bad reputation that, uh, that uh, revivalism had. That Graham came to the fore uh, with the uh, uh, the crusade that took place in L.A. in in 1949. And the, a key point for, and I think it's very important for us to note in our discussion today is that before the crusade in L.A. in 49, he'd had doubts about the authority of Scripture. And he walked off into the woods up at, uh, up at Forest uh, home in, uh, in the mountains around California, made a commitment to the authority of Scripture, and that will become a, a real clue to why he's so effective in ministry. He put his dependence upon the Word of God, and as you're suggesting, uh, when uh, when 49 comes around, the revival breaks out, he becomes a national figure. By 54, he becomes an international figure. By 57, uh, he has a New York crusade, uh, and he's a, a, he's a person who presidents want to deal with, but his impact is enormous. Absolutely. Um, you know, the three of us uh, were together uh, at a Billy Graham event in Amsterdam in the year 2000. It was called Amsterdam 2000. And it was one of a series, I think the culminating uh, conference of a series of meetings that Dr. Graham hosted uh, for evangelists around the world. And we produced a document, all three of us worked on it, I think, called the Amsterdam Declaration. Uh, as you all think back on that meeting, do you have any particular memories you want to share? Uh, Mr. Graham, we should say, was not able himself at the last minute to come to Amsterdam. He was sick in the hospital. Uh, we had a relayed video message from him. I remember that was very powerful. But do you have any memories of being together uh, at that great Amsterdam evangelism conference in the year 2000? I uh, I remember the um, very encouraging cross-section of people from all sorts of cultures and societies, all kinds of languages across the world are meeting for communion in that last wonderful service. And I thought this must be a little tiny taste of what heaven will yeah. be like. Led by our friend Richard Buse. That's he was right. the, uh, uh, the minister on that occasion. Yeah. And we were all on our knees. We were all celebrating together the real presence of Christ uh, in, in that uh, communion mm-hmm. service. Yeah. It was a it was a wonderful time, very edifying. I also remember sitting around the table with others working on the uh, confession of faith that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. drafted together. That was a very memorable occasion for me as you well. You helped us a lot to, yeah. not to misquote the Bible. No, so. I, I was just glad to be there. I, I felt like a, a student, yeah. but uh, it was a wonderful occasion. What about you, John? Well, I think, Timothy, uh, that you're bringing that conference up is, is terrific, uh, because in some regards that was, a, that was a conference that marked evangelical history. As many people have commented afterwards, uh, no, hardly anybody else could have ever called a conference like that to which so many people would come. It was Billy Graham who could do it, and 13,000 uh, evangelists uh, came. I don't think we'll probably know until we get to heaven what the full impact of that that conference was. But just to imagine, with all that wonderful singing, as Frank said, the, the other things that took place, uh, for, for me personally, I was really struck by the speaker who called upon Africans and people who came from other uh, countries who had been evangelized by Europeans 
for them to say, for him to say to them, please return to Europe and evangelize and so forth. I thought that conference was absolutely amazing, and uh, my sense is that uh, we just don't have a full uh, feel of what the conference accomplished, but we'll know in heaven. Now, I'm often asked a question. I, I'm, I want to pose it to each of you to see if you have a better answer than I do, because I don't have a good answer. The question I'm often asked is, who is the next Billy Graham? Who will succeed Billy Graham? Is there such a person, and how would we know if there were? Well, I remember uh, people coming to Montreat um, and uh, thinking they were the next Billy Graham <laughs> and uh, showing up at the Graham's office there or somewhere. And a lot of times they would send the person to my dad, you know, who was sort of a ran interference for the Graham sometimes. And dad would usually say, you try to be kind to the person, but somehow indicate probably there is not going to be another Billy Graham. The, the, there was a fairly unique set of circumstances that God and his providence brought together and used Dr. Graham, who would be the first to say it wasn't his human speaking abilities or oratorical prowess that uh, brought so many people to faith in Christ. It was the Holy Spirit. So I'm not sure that there will be another Billy Graham. There may be lots of people that are inspired by him to proclaim the gospel faithfully in their own cultures, but um, there may not be anyone else exactly like him. John? Well, you know, Billy took a shot at answering that question. I don't know if you remember that. In, in 1989, he wrote a letter to Dr. Concer, uh, who's a dean, dean again, once at Trinity, and that this was the question they were reflecting on, the very one you raised, Timothy. And uh, Dr. Graham gave this response. I have it in front of me. I keep remembering the words of someone I heard years ago. God buries his workmen and carries on his work. I do not think any of us are indispensable, whatever field of the Lord's work we are in. I am convinced that there are thousands of evangelists throughout the world that are more faithful and more capable than I am. They may not be Americans, and they may not have big organizations, but they have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think, you know, if he had a supposition or a thought that perhaps the next person who might fill his, uh, his place, if that could possibly take place, would not be an American, but would be someone from over, overseas. And so, consequently, we don't know exactly who that next person will be, but, you know, I, I remember you, Timothy, saying that when Moody died, uh, people thought there could be no person to replace Moody uh, when Moody died in 1899, but this little baby was born in North Carolina not too many years later, and he was Billy Graham. So the Lord works in surprising ways, and he doesn't always reveal to us his technique before it happens. <laughs> That's right. But uh, we... we, we I think we would all three of us say what a blessing it was to be around oh. Billy Graham, yes. uh, to know him in the way that we did, and to see uh, the evidence of God's grace in his life, mm -hmm. uh, such an example to us, and to then see how God used this really very humble person. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Being in the presence of Billy Graham, the, the times I was with him, I was always, he could have said anything, done anything, but he comes across just as a mm -hmm. Christian deeply committed to Jesus Christ and, as Frank said, very interested in other people and what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that probably made as much of an impression on me as anything else he said publicly, just to know his heart a little bit and to be inspired by his life. 
So uh, what, a, what a privilege to have had him among us for these 99 years. And now I think heaven uh, has got to be rejoicing a little bit that he has joined the heavenly choir up there. Well, thank you so much. My guests on the Beeson podcast today have been two good friends, Dr. Frank Thielman uh, and Dr. John Woodbridge, both outstanding scholars in the Lord's Church and both with a special relationship to Billy Graham. And because we're still, in a sense, both mourning his loss but also rejoicing in his legacy, we wanted to just share that conversation and those memories with you today. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Timothy. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.